we're talking about uh, the year of triumph, and how many are you feeling more victorious all the time? Amen. Yes, we ought to be because we serve a good God. Amen. And we've been introduced to His plan for redemption, and we're talking about triumph from this scripture in Second Corinthians chapter two. In verse 14 it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. How often, church? Always. How often can you be victorious? Always. always. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. What God is doing this year is He's wanting to put His people on display for the world to see. Not a defeated, not a destroyed group of people, but overcoming people. People who are triumphing in every area of life. I believe actually there's a special anointing for God's people this year to become champions, to triumph in every area of their life. Look at somebody and tell them there's something on you. And that which is on you produces triumph. Yes, amen. And we spent some time last week talking about the Roman triumphal procession, but all we need to know now is that Jesus is coming back with a triumphal procession that is one that can never be compared to. And you and I are part of that future. But we have to understand that Jesus is ultimately the foundation of triumph, and the Scripture tells us that Jesus, literally, and His Word are one. In the book of John, the Bible says, in the beginning was what? Was the Word, and the Word was? With God and the Word? From when? From the beginning. So my foundation for triumph is Jesus, and my, my, triumph, my foundation for triumph is the Word of God, because God and His Word are actually one. The Bible tells us in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now we know that Jesus wasn't saying upon you, Peter, an office holder for the future Catholic Church. That's how this is one. He was talking about the rock of revelation knowledge, starting with that piece of revelation that helps us know that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. And then revelation springs from that. What does this tell us? It tells us that our triumph is tied to our revelation and commitment to the Word of God. You're only going to be as victorious as you are tied to the Word of God. So when you hold that Bible up and make your confession, when you hear people talking about the Word and it's how irrelevant to them and it's not modern and it has nothing to do with life today, it has everything to do with life today. That's why people are so upset. It's not that the Word is outdated. It is perfectly irrelevant. They just don't like what it's saying. They want to do what they want to do, live how they want to live. So I have to dismiss the book of authority to absolutely justify the way I'm doing things in life. Ephesians 2 tells us this, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Who's my foundation for triumph? Jesus. Jesus and His Word are what? They are one, in fact. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, in verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fail, because it had its foundation on the rock. But listen to this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell 
with a great crash. You know when I read that scripture today, do you know what jumps out at me? The word everyone. Everyone who builds his house upon the rock, guess what? Everyone, they will survive, they will thrive. But it also says everyone who does not read and put the words into practice, every one of them will be destroyed by that storm. You see, it's not the storm that destroyed them, it was a lack of a solid foundation. And that foundation has to do with what you do with the Word of God by listening to it, by applying it to your life, by doing it, and doing it consistently. Your house stands no matter what storm hits it. Now, I can never tell you that there'll never be another storm coming at you. In fact, being a faith person, I'll tell you there will be storms. But with a right foundation, none of them will succeed against your life. In other words, the devil can do his best, but his best will never be good enough. It will never be more powerful than the revelation of God and His Word. Glory to God. Scripture says in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will what? Never pass away. How many of you know if you want to be consistent, tie yourself to something that is eternal like that? And you will be consistent. Why are people so flaky? Because they're tied to flaky things. They're tied to the world, flaky. They're tied to politics, flaky. They're tied to feelings, flaky, flaky, flaky. But if you're tied to the Word of God, you are like a rock, consistent, no matter what goes on in your life. Scripture tells us very plainly, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This emphatically underscores the truth that the Word and our Lord are one. This is how He leads us into triumph. Every victory, everything you ever do in terms of winning in the things of God, every triumph is going to come because of your relationship with God and through His Word. In fact, I'll tell you this, any deviation from the Word of God is the beginning of the end for any believer. It's incumbent upon us to know the Word, to be proficient in the Word, to be experts in the Word, to be doers of that word. We'll get into that later on. But the bottom line is many people are deviating from the word of God. And when you deviate, you've just deviated from your triumph. Don't listen to all the naysayers telling you this book is irrelevant. Don't listen to people telling you it doesn't matter whether the word of God is preached in church. All that matters is that we love everyone and we put up with everyone and we're tolerant towards everyone. Listen, the final and the supreme message of Jesus is not do what you want, I love you. He loves you, but He also expects you to do what He wants you to do. And the principal message, the original message of Jesus was not, can we all just get along together? Can we all just be tolerant towards one another? His first message was repent. And those words abide today. To deviate is to depart from an established course, standard, lifestyle, or conviction. Now, how many would raise your hand and you can say, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, I dedicated my life to the Lord, and I made a decision to make the Word of God first place and final authority in my life. Let me see your hand if you did that. Well, you started on a course that is the best course of life. Well, the problem is right now is we have people, ministers, church leaders, people who have been faithful for decades now deviating from the Word starting out with God's authority, His Word, and now trying to make up the rules as they go along. I will tell you this, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it ever was correct, it's still correct. If it ever was wrong, it's still wrong. And it's important for you to understand that. 
to not be lulled away by the doctrines of devils and seducing spirits away from this so that you deviate from your set course and deviate from your standard and lifestyle and conviction. Listen to me carefully today. The devil will do everything he can to get you to deviate from the Word of God. Everything. He'll use anyone, anytime, anywhere, in any realm of any gate or influence in this nation or around the world. He'll do everything he can to get you to deviate from the Word of God because he knows that without the Word you cannot win. But he also knows that if you stay on the Word of God, you cannot lose. And the forces trying to get you to deviate are working 24-7, so you need to be diligent 24-7 not to deviate from what God has said. Now, some of this deviation is very subtle. Some of it is as plain as day. Some, you know, entire church organizations are deviating off the Word of God. There's nothing you can do about that. But there's everything you can do about you deviating off your course. Sometimes it's as subtle as you and I accepting every little excuse under the sun not to do what God wants us to do. Every little excuse not to be in the house of God. Every little excuse not to be in the Word of God. Every little excuse, you know, not to serve. There are standing orders on our lives concerning all of these things, but you and I sometimes give ourselves special permission to deviate from that. Now I'm getting up in your business today. I do not have special authority to deviate because I feel like it. And you do not have permission to deviate because you feel like it. You're a modern Christian. You got all this other stuff going on. Yeah, but all that other stuff going on is not going to produce victory in your life. The Word of God is going to produce the victory in your life. So if you've been giving yourself permission to deviate... Repent of that and say, you know what? I don't have permission to deviate this. I gave my life to Christ. I said I was going to follow him. And to follow him is to follow his word, not deviate from it. Turn to somebody and tell them, say, stop giving yourself permission to deviate from the word of God. You don't have permission to do that. You don't have authority to give yourself permission to do that. No preacher has the authority to tell you you can deviate from that. Let God be found true and all men liars. Uh-huh. Who's behind the gross deviation? The devil. Who's behind the tiny deviation? The devil. In fact, the tiny Incremental deviations for you and for me are more powerful and successful with us than the gross deviations. God's not going to come to Jimmy tonight and say, or the devil's not going to say, now go and, and wipe the entire county out. He's not going to do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? He's not going to get up and obey the devil telling him, now go sleep around on Wilma. You know why I know that? Because she'll kill him, that's why. I don't have to have revelation about that. Case closed. He's not coming after Jimmy with the gross deviation. 
And he's not coming at you with the gross deviation. You are too, you know, aligned with God and his thoughts and his values for that. The real danger for you and for me, it's the incremental deviation. And as we move further and further away, the feat becomes more and more pronounced. We can't triumph with a gross deviation. And you and I have to understand this today. We can't triumph with a small incremental deviations either. Do you see this, church? The power, the force, the influence, the absolute goal of this world and religion to push us away from these things and then tell us we can justify them at the same time. God's looking for some people that will be radically tied to that word. That will not deviate from what God has said. Is this important? In Galatians 5, Paul said to the Galatians regarding their faith in Christ and the influence to come back into Judaism, to mix Jesus with the law, to tell them you must be saved, but you also must keep the law. He said, who cut in on you? You were running a good race. Who came in on the racetrack and pushed you into the ditch? You were doing so well. He was bold. This influence didn't come from the God that called you. It's incremental for most of us, but it's effective if it takes you off the path and the foundation of God's word. How can you prevent deviation from the standard if you don't know what the standard is or if you've not devoted yourself to it? Today, you may not know much about the word of God. That's your assignment by tonight (laughs) to know the whole thing. Yes, the New Testament and the Old Testament, that Bible. <laughs> if you know the word, the assignment for you is to take a, you know, an inventory of where you're deviating and be honest with yourself. There are people doing this. I've been so badly hurt that I have a right to hold a grudge. I have a right to be offended. I have a right to tear down everything that everybody is doing because I am hurt. You do not have a right to give yourself permission to deviate. That's why you find somebody who's walking around with a chip on their shoulder and bitter. Nothing but nothing good, you know, happens to them. It's just one disaster after another. Are you here today? Yeah. Your assignment is to take the inventory. Where have I been deviating? I like what Mark Barth used to say, your highness. What does he mean by that? It means you on the throne of your life giving you permission to do things that God never told you you could do. Where has your highness deviated from the word? I promise you that's where your biggest struggle and your biggest vulnerability is today whether you see it or not. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them you need to get your highness off the throne. Amen? Come on, tell her. Get your hiney off the throne. You are not God. <laughs> I love the guy in that video. He's so intellectual, he doesn't even make any sense. Like, what is this? He contradicted himself three times in one paragraph. That's the way this world is. Amen? <laughs> 
I love this scripture, Psalm 119, 165. It's one of the first uh, you know, scriptures I ever marked in my first Bible that my mom gave me about when I was graduating from high school. And it says, great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Do you know what I read when I read that? Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them deviate from it. Mm-hmm. Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Say it like this. Come on, repeat me. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not deviate from it. Proverbs 4.27 tells us, do not turn to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Listen to the same verse from the CEB translation. So you must carefully do exactly what the Lord your God commands you. Don't deviate even a bit. Hallelujah. Joshua 1.7, only be strong and very courageous to observe uh, all, all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left that thou mayest have good success whithersoever thou goest. Don't deviate this way. Don't deviate that way. Stay on the foundation of your triumph and your success. What does it say in Joshua? You'll be successful wherever you go. You'll be triumphant wherever you go. There's something on you that causes triumph when your foundation is God's word and not your highness. Come on now, let's think about this. How many remember when you were not saved? Most of us can. Raise your hand if you can remember a time when you were not walking with God. Did you really run your life all that well? Raise your hand if you can say, no. What's changed? You didn't do a good job managing your life before Christ. What makes you think you're supposed to take that charge on after Christ? Amen. You're not. In John 8, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees that believed in him, and he said, you know, basically that's not enough. He said, what? Continue in my word. You'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth and what will happen. The truth will set you free. If you get on and continue, not deviate. See, if you're here today, you should know that uh, giving your life to Christ is the smartest thing you ever did. The most life-changing thing you'll ever do. And tying yourself to this word, because I'll tell you something, it is inspired by God. It is offered by the Holy Spirit. It is without error. It is infallible. And as far as five million translations, that's not even close to true. What's actually true is it's amazing from the original Greek, Hebrew, and, and parts that are Aramaic, the text that we have today, the translations we have today, it's an absolute miracle how accurate they are. People say that because they don't like the content. 
not because it's not accurate. Now, some are more accurate than others. I love some more than others, you know. But if you're sitting there fussing about translations and big deals, just find one that you can read and read it. Are you here today? But the key is what? Continue. Do not deviate. Hebrews 10. We're not of those that shrink back unto destruction. We're those that are pressing in. We're those that are standing on something more authoritative than we are. Something that's eternal. You stand on religion, you'll fail. You stand on your flesh, you'll fail. You stand on other people, you will fail. You stand on your emotions, you will fail. Stand on the Word of God and you're invincible. Why? Because it's invincible. Jesus has never lost a battle. The Word has never lost a battle. And even when it looks like there is loss, guess what? We find out it's not. It's great gain. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, tell somebody else, your highness is fired. Fired, fired, fired. Amen. So what I want to do today is just give you a a simple, you know, five-point instruction for building and maintaining this foundation. Why? Because the pastor doesn't want to see you deviate. And the key to preventing your deviation is doing certain things that, that maintain, develop and maintain that foundation on the Word of God. I love the little clip where it says, you mean you read this on your own in your house with nobody telling you? I totally relate to that because what am I always doing? (laughs) But that's the key. If you think you have much of a foundation on the Word when you only open it up or scroll, whatever you do, during church, this is not the catch-all. This is not the end-all. This is where you're trained. This is where you're developed. This is where revelation comes. This is where the exhortation comes. This is where the Holy Ghost talks to you. But every single day of your life, you should expect God to talk to you through His Word. Every day you should open up that book. You know, you, listen, how many you know that Sundays are, are probably milder than most of your days of the week? How many agree with that? There's not that much going on. And some of you still work. There are exceptions to that case. Do you really need the Word just on your mildest day? No. How many would agree with this, that, that your craziest day is not Sunday? There are crazier days than Sunday if you raise your hand. Go on, raise it up high. Come on, higher. Grab the light. Come on, right. (laughs) So on your easiest day, you're getting some word. But on the tough days, you're not developing and maintaining that foundation. No wonder we're defeated people. Amen. So you get these down into your heart. I've been practicing these for a very long time. And... um, you know, not everything, you know, I realize glorification has and continues to be a staggering revelation for us because it's not been as preached, uh, you know, as, as fervently and accurately and comprehensively as we've begun to do it here. But I can tell you this, the revelation of the integrity of the Word of God is something you'll need all the days of your life. Because if you begin to balk on this, other revelations won't matter. 
That's why Jesus talked about Mark 4 as being critical to understanding any teaching, any parable. If you don't get this, he told his disciples, how are you supposed to get revelation in all these other areas? You can't. And the reason he taught them the parable of the sword was to point out to them how important it was to take heed and be diligent in these areas. I was talking to Charlie the other day. He was talking about his wife, how she's, when she's not reading, she's listening to something. When she's not listening to something, she's barking out the word. <laughs> now, <laughs> at Charlie. <laughs> now, what's going to happen with that level of hunger for the things of God? Yeah. I don't know when. I don't have to know the how. I don't have to be the observer. But I'm telling you that that foundation is going to come up on and overtake her life. And triumph is going to manifest, not just in her, but through her. Because you get so filled with a word like that, that foundation begins to produce great fruit. I can say that. I can testify to that. But I can't make you do it at all. I can't even make you pay attention right now. How dare you? How dare I? I've been doing this a few years. Amen. This is where we triumph or fail to triumph. Our relationship with the uncompromised word of God. How is that relationship with you today? How is it this week? Have you become an incrementalist, giving yourself permission to deviate? This will constantly put up a barrier, a boundary to keep you where you need to be and keep you from deviating. Amen? Write it down. Number one, fill your heart with a word. Fill it. Proverbs 4 tells us that happens by putting it in our eyes. Say eyes. Putting in our ears. Say ears. And speaking it out of our mouth. Say mouth. We got to fill our heart with the word of God. Scripture tells us in Mark 4, 24, be careful what you're hearing and the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you. The more you spend time in that word, the more of the good is going to come back to you. And the truth of the matter is, the more of a passion you'll have, the more time you spend in it. Scripture does say in Proverbs 4, Pay attention, my child, to what I say. Listen carefully. Don't lose sight of my words. Let them penetrate deep within your heart, for they will bring life and radiant health to anyone who discovers their meaning. Shout that word out, anyone. anyone. Well, God has favorites. The Bible has favorites. Jesus has favorites. No, he doesn't. The word of God is very plain. He favors faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Second Timothy tells us that we're to be what? Basically students of the Word of God. Rightly dividing, rightly handling the Word of God. Anyone can have this. So what do you do? Any way you can, get it before your eyes. Get it before your eyes. Any way you can, get it into your ears. Get it into your ears. Any way you can, have it coming out of your mouth because as that happens, it's going to go down into your heart. And that word level is critical to the integrity of your foundation on the Word of God. This message, this conviction, 
flies in the face of what's happened all over the world and all over this country in the body of Christ. You cannot have a foundation for triumph when all you're getting are messages from the headlines of newspapers. You can't. Or some little ditty designed to pacify your flesh. Hallelujah. But not so long that it hurts your bottom. Are you here? When you're a word person, you know, your spirit is, is hungry and it's willing to deal with any other limitation and any other voice crying out to you. Are you here today? You fill your heart with the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 tells us this is a function of you and I actually taking the responsibility for the condition of our spiritual life. And we train ourselves by constant use, train ourselves to discern between good and evil. Who does the training? We do. Number two, store up the word through memorization. When you were a child in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school, they had you memorize scriptures. Do you know what they're doing over right now in Harbor Kids? Probably pulling out a new memory verse. Some of you outgrew that. You weren't supposed to outgrow it. <laughs> you were supposed to keep doing it. I remember early on when uh, Kelly taught Tim, Psalm 91, can you think of a better psalm for a child to know? Dropping them off over there, Southwest Elementary, and I just say, Tim, let's quote Psalm 91 and verbatim from a kindergarten, he'd sit back there doing what? Rolling right through it. See, what was he doing? He had memorized it. And I could probably put him on the spot right now. Good night. I think I will. Come up here. Yes, amen. Where's that microphone at? Oh, hallelujah. Pretend you're in first grade. You just spilled milk all over my car as you're eating donut holes. And it's time to quote Psalm 91. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. I say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. I will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys in midday. A thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. We will, I'm sorry, what? I will only observe with my eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If I make the most high my dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, nothing will befall me. He will command his angels concerning and guard me in all of my ways. He will lift me up in, my, in his hands, so I will not strike my foot against the stone. I will trample upon the lion and the cobra, the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him and honor him as long as he acknowledges my name. I will call upon, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.
And I'm going to have him come back and do the entire book of Leviticus. We didn't see that? This is really good. <laughs> Turn to somebody and tell them, you don't outgrow it. You should be memorizing scripture from your chosen uh, you know, translation every single week of your life. Find a few and just bear down on them because this is what happens. And when there is a situation that may come and threaten, may come and, and harbor some kind of an attack, what's going to come out of your spirit is what you have stored in there, even if you realize it or not. So fill, but also store. Proverbs 2 says, My child, listen to what I say. Remember what I command you. Remind yourself of them. Write them on your heart as if on a tablet. Psalm 119. I have hidden, hidden, hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you or deviate from you. Matthew 12, 35. The good man brings good things out of the good, what? stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And in many ways, you and I are either storing evil or we're storing good. Your heart is not, it will never be a vacuum. So fill your heart with the word and store up the word through memorization. Come on, tell somebody else again, you didn't outgrow it. Say it again. You did not grow it. I mean, honestly, who needs to have it more? Six, somebody that's a first grader? Are those of us that are out there on the front line? What a con. That's what religion will do for us. Well, I left that memorization back behind, you know, with the Sunday school felt boards and all that stuff, preacher. Well, leave the felt board behind, but keep doing the memorization. Number three is meditate upon the word. Psalm 1 again, they love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. Everything they do will succeed. Scripture says in Psalm 119, 14 and 15, I rejoice in following statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. All meditation is, is to think about the scriptures. You fill your heart with them, you memorize them, but you think about them. You put yourself in the story. You put yourself in the position of the one that's going through that narrative. You put yourself in that story. When you see a promise, you lay hold of it. Okay. Hallelujah. I heard a man of God stand behind a desk, you know, on a television set one day, and he began to, to say how the Proverbs aren't for you and for me. That's just for the people and the time and the season that they were. Can I tell you something? They're mine. All the promises of Abraham, what? And of Solomon and of David, they are ours. That's our inheritance. And don't you ever let somebody talk you out of it. If you find a, a scripture that says, the what? The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he has no sorrow to it. You don't apologize for it. You don't let somebody talk you out of it. You stand on that word in Jesus' name. You find a scripture that says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I don't let somebody take that away from me. A big price was paid for you and me to be born again. And a big price was paid to let this word of God abide and dwell to this very day. How dare we let the world or religion talk us out of what God has paid such a high price for us to have. So from John 3, 16. To everything that you may have or come across, it's a promise. You lay hold of that in Jesus' name. And you think about what that means. You think about what the Word of God says. 
And you'll see something on the inside of you just begin to come alive and grow up and produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. We fill our hearts with the word. We memorize, but then we meditate. What does that mean? It means to premeditate your success by thinking the word before the reality. You premeditate your success by thinking the word before the reality. What is premeditated murder? You think about it and think about it and think about it and you plan it. And someday somebody does what? They carry it out. But it was what? Premeditated. In the eyes of the law, something that somebody does in a rash and flurry of emotion is held to a different standard than somebody that's been out there planning this thing. Like the Oklahoma City bomber who got the truck and got the fertilizer and planned the path and the escape route for himself and every little detail. And he planted that truck there and it went off and we lost hundreds of lives and that entire structure, including little kids who were in a daycare. But he didn't count on one thing happening. When he drove his old clunker away, an angel kicked his license plate off the car. And that's how he was tracked down Arrested, prosecuted, and eventually terminated. Now, I just point this out to tell you that you and I can use this for evil, or we can use it for good. God has given you the ability to premeditate your success. Joshua tells us that success is tied to the Word of God and meditating on it. Psalms tells us the same thing. The only key is, are we going to do it? Actually premeditate our success by thinking about the Word of God before anything ever happens. That's how powerful the Word of God is. It has the power to bring itself to pass in our lives. I don't know about you, but I have some things I need to see come to pass in my life. And I need to learn to premeditate that, see myself in that victory, see myself in that triumph. Come on, turn, turn to somebody and say, see yourself healed. See yourself prosperous. See yourself delivered. See yourself the head, not the tail. See yourself an overcomer. Hallelujah. See yourself out of that depression. Hallelujah. See yourself running through the field and picking daisies. Hallelujah. You are out of that mess in Jesus' name. See yourself. Now, the difference between what we do and what they do in ancient Near East civilization is they meditate trying to empty their minds so some demon can fill it. You and I fill our hearts and minds with the Word of God, and we meditate, we premeditate the success that God has ordained. Hallelujah. I think you ought to premeditate that day when that, that uh, roll is called up and the trumpet sounds. And what kind of aerobatics are you going to do when you're flying up? Are you going straight up? You're going to go upside down? You're going to go like this? What are you going to do when you start floating up? Hallelujah. After all, Gloria Copeland said this years ago, we spend all of our lives trying to get people to heaven and then get mad when they go there. Just in case you didn't hear me, let me say that again. She said we spend all of our lives preparing for heaven and getting people to heaven. Then we get mad when somebody goes there. 
No, we fight the good fight of faith. We stand when the brother or sister goes home to be with the Lord. We try to tap in just a little bit of what they must be doing right now. Hallelujah. Daryl is walking on golden streets. He's fellowshipping with the Lord Most High. He's talking to the saints that have gone before him. He's talking to Paul right now about how to conduct spiritual gifts. Hallelujah. He wants more revelation. Premeditate what God has for you. Well, I don't know if I can do that. You've been premeditating your defeat for decades. All you got to do is turn that switch off and turn the premeditate the word switch on. These scriptures, the Bible tells us these promises are yes and they're amen. Hallelujah. And the scripture also tells us that you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't premeditate for you, and you can't premeditate for me. But listen, if this is the foundation for our triumph, and we are premeditating the Word of God, what can we expect to come? You're going to triumph. Come on, shout it out, triumph. triumph. Shout it out again, triumph. triumph. One more time, triumph. triumph. With all your heart, say triumph. He always leads you in triumphal procession. How does he lead us in triumphal procession? Through his word. Number four, speak the word. You've probably never heard that before. <laughs> Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us you believe in your heart, you say with your mouth, and confession is made unto what? Salvation. We got saved using the heart and the mouth. This is another example where you and I, just like meditation, we know how to talk. The ability to articulate words is not our problem. It's the quality and the nature and the content of those words. Everybody talks. Some of us talk more than others. According to science and researchers, women talk more than men. It's a lie. I didn't conduct that. I do know that lots of men are given to certain levels and different degrees of grunts. <laughs> but we know how to talk. We know how to speak. The scripture says in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The Hebrew indicates the concept of the odd, the hand of God, the very power of God for life and death is where? In your tongue. What you are filling your heart with, what you are meditating upon, what you are storing, you now have got to on purpose release out of your mouth. And as you spend more time filling and storing and meditating, this scripture is going to catch up with you. And now the abundance of your heart, what's going to happen? The mouth will speak. But don't wait until then to speak the word. You're the only creation in God's entire glorious creation that can actually choose the words at will and speak them. I didn't say communicate or make sounds. I'm talking words. Words are containers. They fill things. Words are vehicles. They carry things. The entire 
you know, capability of God is contained in his word. And it has the power to bring itself to pass. But what are you saying about that situation? What are you saying about you? What are you declaring about your life? Find those promises and speak those promises. Not because you heard this before, bless God, is there anything new? Let me tell you something. This is a revelation that you and I have to hear over and over and over and over and over again. One of the first things that will slip when you begin to diminish your word time, when you begin to diminish spiritually, the first thing that will slip is the content of your words. You'll go back to talking like the world, talking ugly, amen, talking unbelief and fear. Why is that happening? Because absence of the word of God, you will, you will resort to whatever the default is in this world. It's not words that will help you. We don't like hearing this. I never liked hearing it the first time myself when I heard it. That we live in a world that we create with our own words. Now that statement doesn't mean that other people don't have choices and don't have some ability in our lives. Some people hear that and then begin to say, well, so God did this and God did that. No, you're missing the point. People that misunderstand this, they do it because they want to misunderstand this. They want to react towards the word of God instead of being taught by it. What this means is the preponderance of your words determines the environment that you live in. So what do you do? Choose Bible words. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I what? I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. What we believe, we speak. That is the spirit of faith about us. Now, whatever is going on in your life, stop hurting yourself with your own mouth. Stop hindering your own life with the words that you say. And please, don't come here tonight or tomorrow or next week with a badge trying to arrest people for their words. Because I'm not deputizing you to be the word police. Come on, raise your right hand. I promise, I promise. To, police to police my own mouth. My own mouth. Turn to somebody and say, I am not the policeman over your life. No. But watch, again, deviating from the word, deviating from godly words, faith-filled words, our life will begin to follow that out. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to spend the rest of my days in doing ministry and serving God in defeat. I want to be in triumph. But you will only be in triumph to the degree your words are lining up with what God said. Well, I thought you were one of them name it and claim it and blab it and grab it kind of churches. You're missing the point. Don't let somebody label something because they have a knee-jerk, visceral reaction to somebody's position paper. You get into the Word of God, and you will find out that this, from stern to stern, from absolute one part of the Bible to the end, is a principle from God, a revelation for you and for me. In the book of Proverbs alone, Solomon talked about the mouth, the lips, and the tongue over 80 times. And arguably, he is the richest man who ever will live. When you run today's costs based on appreciation of what he had of assets, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, 
The guy from Amazon can't touch him. Now I wish you would apply this revelation of his mouth to the number of women he was involved with and then we really have some victory. Hallelujah. This goes to show you can be great in one revelation. That's another sermon. <laughs> but over 80 times he mentions this principle. How is it possible then that we could say it's not relevant to us today? He understood something about how we were created. Amen? If you want the cat, don't call the dog. Amen? One of my best friends growing up was this guy named Dixon. He lived out on the highway, and they had this cat, and they named the cat Sinbad. Next door was a Catholic priest. Priest walks out that morning to get his paper. <laughs> and uh, they walk out looking for the cat. Suddenly they begin to call out, Sin! <laughs> Sin! <laughs> and yeah, that, that priest is looking like you right now. What? <laughs> Turn to somebody and tell them, don't call the cat <laughs> if you want the dog. It's critical that you see this. Turn to somebody and tell them, speak the word. Come on, say it. Speak the word. Fill your heart. Store it up. Meditate upon it. Speak it. There's power of life and death. Delegated power. In whose tongue? In yours. Number five. Everybody loves this point. Do what it says. Can we just stop at number four? James chapter one. And remember, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. Or if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Amen? You must put into practice the things that are in here. Amen? Scripture says, forgive. All right? Fill my heart. Hallelujah. Memorize scriptures on love. Amen. Meditate what that means. Go around talking about. I walk in love. I forgive. I don't hold any grudges. It doesn't do you any good if you don't do number five. And actually act on what you said you believed. What you programmed yourself to do. You have to do it. Hallelujah. And I want you to practice that. Everybody say the love of God. You know what the world needs? You know what this country needs? It needs the love of God, but it also needs the truth. Speaking the truth in love. When this church was over there on uh, Glendale in 16th, and I came in as a college student, uh, there were about seven people left, and the powers that be were about ready to shut down that church, the church you sit in today. 
And they came over there with tears in their eyes, broken, Jeremy and Henley. And the Lord spoke to them that uh, this campus should be reached, this town should be reached, this church should not be closed. And uh, with a, just a handful of people, they began just to reach out and to love. You know what they said then? And you know what God is trying to stir up again in your heart and my heart? They called it the, the church that love built. And can I tell you something? They didn't wait until they had more people to start loving or calling that church the church that love built. We can have what we say. And I want you, and see, what is this all about? People who serve in a ministry, particularly apostolically, they have an authority and they have an investment spiritually. What they have proclaimed over a ministry can endure. That's why you always want to be careful about who you let step into leadership in a local church. But in this case, what they sowed was historic, was biblical, was powerful, and the Holy Ghost is telling this church to pick that back up again and run with it. Come on, shout it out, the church that love built. Now it doesn't mean we've arrived, but it means that what? We can go around confessing that, believing that, and what? Doing it. Doing the love of God. Hallelujah. And what will happen? With love, he'll do the building. With love, he'll do the developing. Imagine if Rita and Jerry said, well, there's seven people here. We'll start calling it the church that love built after it's built. It probably would have been shut down. Amen. But guess what happened? They began to declare it. It's the church that love built. And guess what? They started loving. And loving and loving. And what did God do? He began to build and develop. And I'll tell you this. God has great, great plans for you. He has great things in store for you. Amen. But at the end of the day, stop giving yourself permission to deviate from this word as if there's an asterisk in Scripture that says, love your neighbor, but there's a star that says, but not you. You get a buy. You read Malachi 3, and there's a special little cross there, and in the, in the margin it says, but you don't have to do that one. Wow. That's the biggest thud I've ever heard in church before. Scripture tells you and me to be servants. Well, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have that. No, you're deviating. You're giving yourself, your highness, permission not to do the very word that you spent time putting in your heart. How many of you really want triumph? Then you got to ultimately do what you have filled your heart with, what you have memorized, what you have meditated upon, what you have spoken, you have to do. Saying the church that love built without actually loving? I mean, this lady came up to Jesse Duplantis. He was in a church preaching, and she was flaming mad. And she said, I'm leaving this church. There ain't no love here. And Jesse said very wisely, you got love? Yes, I got love. Well, don't leave and take the love with you. Stay. <laughs> yes, I got love. Can't you see? Feel the love. That's what amazes me with people that are like that. They're just like, you know, the, the paragon of peace. 
No, if you got the love, well, shed it abroad. Hallelujah. Amen. Because we all need it, bless God. No, it's not the church that love built for special people. It's everybody. Everybody sensing needs, everybody outgoing, everybody loving everybody, everybody treating everybody like they've been here forever if they've been here one time. Amen? And when you don't see somebody reaching out for them, hallelujah. Everybody. Look at, tell somebody, everybody. So at the end of the day, what we have done here is given ourselves a roadmap for a great triumph, but it all won't matter if we don't do it. Amen. At the end of the day, we can't be hearers only. 